played a barbarian? What have you played in D&D besides a bard? Um, <laughs> my first D&D character was a rogue. Yeah. Uh, you know, like pretty pretty stock standard, like halfling rogue. And then I really wanted to like splash magic. Right. So then I went like half spellcaster. And mm-hmm. the problem with that was it took me forever to level up anything. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. I kind of like gave up after a while because it was way too slow. Yeah. Um, that's the that's the problem with going multi-class in D&D is like your advancement slows down in all avenues. So like you see your friends becoming uber powerful. But yeah, you have two different schools of magic that you could cast level one spells at. You're like, yeah, damn it. Yeah, I wanted to cast, like, Fireball and be able to pick locks, and it turns out that I couldn't do either very well. <laughs> Dude, Fireball is such a good spell. It is a good spell. Um, uh, my second D&D character was a paladin, I think, or cleric. Some kind of, like, tough healer-type thing. And yeah, paladin, probably. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it was a paladin. I thought that was boring, so I ended up allowing that character to die and then allowing that character to die not <laughs> yeah, even retiring him he's like well i gotta get rid of this guy he yeah i just decided to play really crazy and and he died uh and then i i redid a character sheet as a ranger and had a lot of fun with like poisoned arrows and stuff yeah like ranger that. that's a that's a kyle atchison class right there yeah. yeah friend of the animals too but then famously in shadow run i was a bard and that was the best you were a you were a shaman, weren't you? Weren't you like a? He was a river shaman that made yeah, clothes. Yeah, you were like. Oh, yeah, that's right. That's right. <laughs> you were a clothing designer. Yeah, I was a cl- I was a clothing designer and poet. I could I had like one spell that made the floor ice. <laughs> that was like <laughs> tremendously effective, like way more effective than it should have been. <laughs> Your name was Brook Meadow, right? That's right. Yeah. <laughs> and I can't remember. You weren't a hermetic mage. You were like a shaman of some sort. And I can't, yeah, were you <laughs> yeah, a, some kind of nature druid thing? Right, because in Shadowrun, they're by their domain. Is how I think they're organized. It's been so long since I've played. Yeah. And Sam, of course, was fro- frog. Frog. Yeah. <laughs> frog the troll. <laughs> and You're my like goal a teenager was, too, were you? Weren't yeah, you I young? was like a teenager, and like my goal was to become as robotic as possible, like get as many <laughs> cyber enhancements, like lose my humanity as quickly as possible. And you started out with very little, right? Like you had full human, or I mean, yeah. well, you were a troll, so tr- trolled enemy, but like humanoid nature, yeah. right? And but- I was like purposely like naively aligned with like clearly the evil company that was like making all the evil technology <laughs> yeah, that's right you had a bunch of contracts with like yeah that's right the corporate contracts you were kind of a mercenary for hire for them yeah. you were always defending them so you're like hey come on like aren't they really so <laughs> the bad Aries corporation's fine leave them alone let them sell weapons on the open market uh great campaign Jake. we're not all safe until we all have laser rifles <laughs> Uh, Jake, best DM in the business. Mm-hmm. Jake, you're you're very good at just asking direct questions, like any ordinary human being would in a crazy circumstance. Which you know, D and D or Shadowrun frequently takes place in really wild circumstances. And so <laughs> you're just like voicing a normal character in that world who's like suddenly in this odd position. <laughs> it's, it's always like hilarious to hear you be like, um. So, are you guys going to pay for these drinks, or? Because <laughs> this place is on fire, and I need to leave, but I have to close out the till. I have to close. I have to leave a hundred bucks in here. Look, this is Renee. She's going to be with you, but if you could just close out before my shift ends, that really helps me. 
We would role play a, a waiter shift change. <laughs> yeah. Speaking of you guys, this Root RPG, I feel like the full book is going to be uh, released fairly soon. The PDF Ooh. of the full book is going to be released pretty so soon. So do you have like a, a PDF preview of what yeah. it is or like a manuscript version of it or just like a short sample? I have like a 120 page preview. Basically, Damn. it's almost all of it except for like the GM stuff. It's it's like a bunch of loose leaf paper that Sam has just like crammed into a drawer <laughs> at this. <laughs> it says top secret with a backward S on it. <laughs> we did do a one shot when the materials were first released, like just the playbooks and stuff. Kyle and I did a one. That's right. I actually vividly remember that scenario too. I thought you drew the world really well. It was unfortunate that we never had the chance to like really get back to it. Yeah. Is the game is the game rule set? complex or is it just like very basic and then gives you a lot of things to go explore i think yeah i think it's very uh pretty basic because it's that powered by the apocalypse system where you just like roll two die and it and you see what happens the 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 gm doesn't roll dice they just kind of provide consequences and okay npcs and stuff yeah it's interesting how that's kind of nice the gm has enough to do generally right yeah it's like really trying to like uh take the burden away from the gm like they're not supposed to have all this like stuff prepared but i did for ours because <laughs> i was like let's do it you know let's like find the woodland alliance let's like have the birds come in and make a speech and stuff it was fun so in the root rpg all the characters play vagabonds right like yeah. everybody although like humans at the table play a vagabond class or like a character yeah kind of archetype um, which I find uh, thematically perfect, obviously, because like the Vagabond is the RPG character of Root. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I also think that's interesting because it kind of places each player in this weird situation where you're not actually like, you don't technically have to be aligned with any faction, but there's the possibility of becoming, you know, allied with somebody mm-hmm. or, you know, becoming hostile with somebody else and kind of, you know, this dynamic in, in the Are board you kind of route. mercenaries like you would be in D&D, like doing quests for the powerful forces around? Right. Yeah, and your yeah. relationship tracker is affected by who you're doing jobs for and how. So you're all you're kind doing. of vagabonds in your own way. Yeah, we're, yeah, you're all vagabonds. The vagabond is inside you. Sounds like a threat. Punch it. <laughs> <laughs> but today, we aren't talking about Dungeons & Dragons or the Root RPG. What are we talking about? We're talking about talking? Is that what this is? Yeah, we're talking about the social game of Root, the table talk, the game above the game. (laughs) (laughs) What is the game above the game? What do do we mean by this? So what we basically mean is that uh, in a game like Root where there's, you know, it's not just dipolar with two players opposing each other, but instead has multiple factions competing in an asymmetric environment multipolar uh, that is that exactly yeah okay. in a multipolar environment um relationships can evolve over the course of the game and occasionally the way you feel about somebody's faction or you know the way someone has played the game or the way someone has talked to you throughout the game could impact your decision making as the the game goes on and that is in a sense another space in which the game is being played 
Kyle, I feel like you just explained to me the birds and the bees, the way that tone was right there. It was also very much like preparing me for disappointment. Like, well, the social game is something that happens when two or more people get together to play a game. No, I wanted to try and describe it in the most, like, the most, like, dry way possible because this is maybe the most subjective element of the game, right? It's not about... Uh, you know how many meeples you have it's about your people skills you know it's like it's not about the meeples it's about the peoples exactly, this episode yeah. is about the peoples for sure yeah <laughs> I mean we all have in, in, inherent biases of people we like and everything like that every move that somebody makes does impact your brain whether you're conscious of it or not and so I think we should you know, kind of explore this episode talking about the trends that we're going to see and the helpful strategies to kind of use your fellow players to weaponize them against some of the other fellow players you have. <laughs> I think just beyond like the advantages of, you know, that you can take from this is also like how the table talk kind of defines the game because as Kyle wisely mentioned, you know, this is the subjective part, and we've tried to stick to facts in terms of, like, how we're analyzing the game. I mean, it's still our objective, of, or it's still our subjective opinion, but we're using objective facts about the rules of the game, right? We've, that's what we've been really focusing on is, like, all the mechanics and things that we miss as people. But now we're talking about very few mechanics, and instead all of those interactions that happen on just the social level. But I feel like this discussion is not... Um put in complete context without first discussing the magic circle. I feel like this is a super important like base concept for actually like enjoying the social game of root. Um, because like we are not, you know, us exactly as we're playing the game. Instead, <laughs> we all like come together and agree to set aside our, you know, normal rules of cooperation and, uh, you know, honesty and stuff like that. And instead step into, a role, um, like a game with each other. Um, Jake, you talk about this so beautifully. Like, uh, what, oh man, what about the magic circle? I was so makes... eager to be like Kyle. Why don't you just like define it for us? And like, because uh, I love the way you describe it. But that's fine. I could do. It. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, I I don't. Uh, you described it really quite well. But it's really that. Yeah. Once we all sit down at the table, we're taking on, as you said, a different role. We aren't necessarily Kyle, Sam, and Jake playing the game. We are the Marquis and the Eerie and the Vagabond all at the table, right? And so within that realm, we shouldn't bring in our personal uh, <laughs> animosities or, or even friendships with each other. Like, just because, you know, S Sam and I are close friends doesn't mean I should favor him at all at the table and vice versa. I wouldn't expect him to make any accommodations to me because we're, we're buddies. There's a barrier between our real relationships and our um, faction relationships, right? Totally. Once we sit down, there's a new... Uh, circle at the table and that's called the magic circle there's a bunch of references to this uh even called a book i believe called the magic circle i'll put a link to um i'm trying to think of like the best one resource wikipedia has a really decent article called magic circle uh parentheses virtual worlds which is like a summary of a lot of the theories behind it but it's pretty much just saying that like once we're in the game world we're in a different world and we're not ourselves and some of the standard social contracts aren't written in this world. And I, yeah, I, Sam, Jake, you, you are comedians and have a background in performance, specifically in improv. And I feel like the magic circle has so many connections to like performance in theater, 
right? Like dropping into a world with different rules than the one that we live in, for instance. Mm-hmm. And what makes that fun and not scary? <laughs> it can, I think it is. Uh, I mean, I don't want to speak for you, Sam, but like, I think it is fun and a little scary. But this, but the scariness of it is also like that's where the adrenaline comes in, right? Is the fear of not knowing what's going to happen in this new world. But what's really not truly scary to it is that like. Because it's not real, there aren't the same amount of consequences. We're not putting our real reputations on the line to break real social contracts. There are fake reputations and fake social contracts. <laughs> I love it. And I think for some new players, it's not scary at all. I think a lot of the appeal is people are like, yeah, I want to be a bird army. That sounds awesome. Yeah. And the scary part for them is going to be learning all the rules. But uh, I I think that a lot of people, yeah, love that aspect of, oh, we're at war with each other and we got to go against each other. And that's great. And for those that aren't that keen on it without being too ruthless, I still think that Root actually has a lot to offer. I when doing all this, I kind of ended up thinking that Root is the war game for nice people. What? Really? Yeah, and I know it's brutal, and we have to hit each other every turn, and all of that is true about Root. But by the end of this, I I think that there are some things inherently in the design of Root that kind of make it kind of a nice guy war game. Oh, I'm interested to see this theory develop. Uh, That is a hilarious hot take, Sam. I love it. (laughs) I feel like that would be a great um, kind of like... You know, like a marquee thing underneath root, like the war game for nice people. <laughs> oh, I'm sure everyone's going to be mad that I said it. But <laughs> uh, before we get like into the meat of today's topic, though, I just did want to do a quick uh, shout out. First of all, uh, our own Kyle Atchison's new album, Family Piano, has dropped a week ago by the time you're hearing this, listeners. That's right. Yeah. Brand new EP. Um Go listen to it on Spotify. Um, I've got a band camp if you want to support the project uh, with with some dollars. I'd, I'd really welcome that because uh, it was a lot of effort to put together. And uh, yeah, I'm really happy with how it sounds. Some, some great songs in there. Uh, one last thing before we get into today's episode. Uh, fancy Zling or Zling, depending on uh, if you're me or not. Uh <laughs> Their 1v1 tournament has uh, continued to go on. I fizzled out in the first round because I'm bad at 1v1. I literally started games trying to table talk and then realizing, oh, it's just me versus you. Like, there's no downside. So how are we going to stop me? Right. (laughs) (laughs) How can we work together on this? (laughs) And, like, there's no downside to just throwing everything you've got at destroying another person. As right? you experienced several times. Oh my gosh! I got <laughs> board wiped. I was eliminated from the game as cats. It was terrible. All credit to this Justin. Uh, murdered me in that one v one. So I'm I'm out. Kyle, how'd you do? Yes, I also played in the one v one tournament. Uh, I was the cats in both of my games, and I was the one doing the murdering in my <laughs> in my games. I think um, I had one extremely lopsided game against the Eerie, and then one like totally fascinating real just cage match on the mountain map against the moles mm-hmm. um i've posted the vod from that match on my youtube which uh yeah check it out waterman 121 on youtube you're right it is a totally different animal what do you mean it's a totally different animal because it's a 1v1 game it's a lot more like like chess or something yeah you know it's it's mm-hmm. you and them 
And awesome. uh, yeah, we'll, we'll keep you all updated on the kind of like tournament happenings. This is the, the only tournament that I know of that's currently happening, so we're just kind of checking in about it. The game itself isn't designed to play 1v1, but the expansion now has 1v1 rule sets, or planned, right? Is that right? Basically, because the hirelings now are a thing, uh, it makes 1v1 games a lot more interesting, and specifically the hireling uh, called Veterans, uh, which kind of plays with turn order and allows you to, at a critical point in the game, basically take a back-to-back turns, uh, if you have the influence for it, can really shake up uh, you know, a, a game where someone's starting to run away with it. You can mm-hmm. actually like totally flip the, the script and come out ahead. Uh, so there's there's a lot of play. which is what you found right like that's what happened in both of your games was like the hirelings were a real huge factor right is that fair to say yeah I guess I I, I definitely think it's more interesting um, but I do feel like rules as written all the materials we have now one v one is not going to be an experience I'm looking for from my root box very often well the game is so designed for multiplayer multi multiplayer right yeah it i mean we're gonna get into all the social greatness that this game is designed for and that there's just part of it in that 1v1 the fact that there is no consequence to me throwing everything i have at a person leaving my flanks vulnerable doesn't matter because i've taken care of you there's an aspect to the ecosystem of playing root that's still missing for me that Mm -hmm. the hirelings can't fill Mm-hmm. The the problem with one versus one is that it is possible in a way that is just not like the four player game. It's possible to actually uh, calculate what your opponent yeah. is capable of and concretely kind of counter that with with your own moves. Whereas in a four player game, if you do that for one player, there's two other or more people at the table who can just like totally dunk mm. on you if you do that <laughs> and uh and they will like if you if you don't play a little bit flexible a little bit conservative like yeah and that coupled with the asymmetric nature of the game makes it like doubly as hard to calculate things because exactly. like not only are you calculating three other players you're calculating three different games within the game right yeah uh, and the limits of this i i feel like i've explored a lot on my channel with the puzzles uh yeah. where i try and and you know create these puzzles where it is theoretically possible for somebody coming in totally blind and just seeing the position to kind of figure out uh what to do and do like a little bit of limited calculating but it's uh yeah 1v1 it's way more possible to do something like that but in four player there's a whole other aspect and that's above the table Yeah, yeah so let's get into it then right This is the social game episode, right? And to make the most of our social game, we're going to have to understand everybody's rhythm and tempo. Everyone's unique. Like, Kyle, you say Tempe. Uh, I've never heard this word except from your mouth. It's just a town in Arizona, Kyle. (laughs) You're a a professional musician. What about my rhythm? (laughs) Basically, all the foreknowledge we need to have Uh, to really get the most out of our social game is we have to know how all the factions work, okay? We need to know all their things in their unique toolkit, all the special powers they can do, their rhythm of scoring, and we also need to find a way to win ourselves, okay? All of this is pre-knowledge you're going to have to have before really getting into the, like, social aspects. We may have done this episode too soon in our, like, 
roster of episodes because this is definitely you can be talked into doing something that may not be for your full benefit if you don't understand all the aspects of the game which is why i think it's actually good we're talking about it now because like I don't know. I think there's too much of an emphasis sometimes, especially in the discussions that I'm seeing amongst like our listeners and also over on Woodland Warriors of like everybody's doing so much calculus of what factions can and should do and will generally do that they're forgetting that these are all played by humans who make independent decisions that you cannot always predict, right? There's a lot of assumptions that people make about, well, Corvids would never do this, or the cats, you know, can't make this choice because they'll automatically lose. It's like, well, they might make that choice, and yeah, maybe they're going to lose, but the rest of the table still has to deal with that choice. So you can't take it as a given. So you need to factor in the fact that uh, there are other humans at the table, not just Mm -hmm. other rule sets at the table, not just other factions, other people. We are not playing with machines, at least not yet. Um, I mean, you can play with machines against yeah. the AI on uh, on Root Digital, and um, you'll quickly find that it's a pretty hollow experience. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And it's actually rather easy to beat the machines. I mean, probably that there's a way for them to get better eventually. With like, you know, are they just real quick? Not to go down the rabbit hole of the AI coding in that game, but like, are they when you crank up the difficulty, whatever difficulty means, do they gang up on you more, or are they just more shrewd in their decisions? They're basically, uh, they're a little bit more human-like in their decision-making. Like, there's a bit of faction wisdom that gets baked in. It must be very difficult to code that game because of, like, the interactions and determining what strategy means, given that you have three other turns between them, right? I mean, I don't know. I couldn't imagine. As someone who's played a fair amount of digital, I mean, not as much as Kyle, but uh, I'll say, yeah, it clearly is a hard game to code because (laughs) you can see the reactions that the AI has. And like you guys are saying, these are not people. And even when you're playing online with people on digital, the chat feature can be pretty limiting when trying to do these bigger next level social moves. And uh, probably by the time this episode releases or shortly afterwards, I think we're getting the Riverfolk expansion not too long into april here on digital which would oh, really? be great oh, but yes. that is going to pose a whole thing of trying to play the most social faction which are the riverfolk company on a digital platform with a limited chat feature it's going to be um just a bloodbath for a while yeah. uh i can't wait actually but yeah so i i think like everyone has reported that uh, you know, especially if you're coming from playing Root in real life, that playing on the digital platform, it's table talk is very limited and it kind of changes the feel of the game. So let's let's kind of like shift into w- when you're playing like either on TTS or in real life and you can like hear everybody talking in the room and there's like a little more of a, you know, like a vibe of like everyone's at the physical table together. Yeah, um, I want to. Sorry to already have a caveat here, but there is a significant difference between playing on TTS and playing in the literal same room on the same table. Like being in a, a same space puts a lot of a different pressure, a social pressure, on you as a player. Whereas if you're behind a monitor, there's no camera, you don't see the eyes of these other people. Uh, that's a very different environment, wouldn't you say? I mean, granted, it's all very different from playing just on digital uh, or like you know asynchronous, right? Very much so, yeah. I think in, in TTS, I'm often, like, flying my camera around and, like, snooping on other players' player mm-hmm. boards and mm-hmm. things like that, which would be, 
in insane in the real world? <laughs> yeah, I've never taken notes in real life. You know, I've never like had a notepad by me and like wrote down the cards that were revealed, but I'll do that on TTS for sure. <laughs> That's yeah, I, I think you're right. I think it does uh, bring about a thing, though I I wouldn't say that it's the an- the anonymity absolves you of things. I don't find people on TTS really trying to get away with more than people do in person. In fact, I feel like people's local metas tend to be a little bit more cutthroat than their um, than the overall communities. But is that because of the friendship that's already built between those people, right? The friendship they're bringing into the magic circle illegally, but they're bringing in <laughs> They're them smuggling more. it in. I think it's got to be the like experience of those players with like specific games mm-hmm. that they've played, right? Mm-hmm. Like if if like the cats had a crazy dominance victory the one time, like everyone's going to be on the lookout for that now. Right. right. Uh, if the Woodland Alliance like destroyed everyone for the first 12 games, like people are going to be really extra ruthless about that faction. So that goes into like the meta, right? Is like the belief, the common belief above the table about what the game is capable of outside of just the rules. It's like, Oh, well the cats have been dominating us forever. So we're not going to let that happen again, regardless of the player that uh, it is. And regardless of the outcome of the first few turns, it's like, screw the cats <laughs> and when you're learning i think this is the best thing to do is pay attention to what meta is working in your group and then try to break it and one of the things that you will find is really doable in root is that no strategy is so broken that it can't be dealt with maybe outside of the tinker vagabond with the base deck that is definitely the most broken quality of root <laughs> But anytime somebody's like hyping a new strategy on BGG or Reddit or on Woodland Warriors, you know, small mole, there was a whole summer where people thought this broke the game where, oh no, what if the moles don't build buildings? Then I can't take care of their lords. And there's just ways to counter these things. No strategy is so pure and so good that three people can't unseat them. That's the thing is like the three other people at the table are such a hindrance to any plan that you feel might be superior right i also feel like metas in this game are almost an illusion like obviously they're real but like uh, i've never seen something last multiple games in a row where somebody just kept doing that same thing or playing that same faction would always win that's nonsense and by the inverse of that too i remember people being shocked when there were certain factions at the table but blank faction won corvid being one that commonly gets like a shock from people it's like well as Kyle told us, there's a 25% chance you'll win. And that 25% <laughs> chance not to because is not because at the beginning of the game you all are equal players with equal factions. There's a lot of ver- other variables that we're not going to be able to factor in. But it's the fact that there's just four of you and only one of you can win. That's the calculation. And mm-hmm. sometimes one of those least likely, quote-unquote, will win. In fact, I would say more games than not. Mm-hmm. I don't have any data to back this up, but... Almost never in a root game does the same person stay ahead the whole game and win. I've seen it right, happen right. before, but I it's not it's not likely. The the faction that that tends to happen with is probably the eerie when they've mm. got like a charismatic no turmoil thing going on. About halfway through the game, they hit like seventeen points, and then they just never are behind, and they just win the game because the snowballs r- rolling down the hill too fast. Yeah, exactly. Mm. Sometimes the vagabond can do it too. I've seen, but yeah, almost all of the other games, and I guess occasionally the cats, if they have a really, really good, uh, a really lucky game, then they can always stay ahead. 
I was going to say, yeah, cats tend to stay ahead, but at some point in the meta, even though they have the most points, we acknowledge that they're not in the best position to win. But so technically they stay in the lead the whole game, but there is a point where maybe the sawmill has gone down or maybe just another faction is even scarier than the cats. And so um, even though they were ahead, you know, the... The calculus had shifted at a point in the game. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but kind of pulling back from the individual factions, like let, we should talk about kind of some key concepts to keep in mind when thinking about the social game. Yeah. Like uh, when you're talking to the other players above the board, uh, you know, beyond just like having a good rapport with everybody um, and, you know, be staying present and stuff like that. Um, it's a little like in root, you, some of the social interactions have a bit of a goal. Right. And uh, one of the, the kind of like most common goals that shows up in a game of Root is when everyone at the table looks around and they see that there's one faction that's it's a little bit too far ahead or they've just gotten a little too good of a position or they've done something that's made them scary. And then we need to do something called checking that player. <laughs> Sam, what's checking a player mean? Yeah, we, we throw this term around a lot. It just means you're like targeting a player and either reducing their presence on the board or slowing down their engine by some kind. Uh, usually it's an attack en route where you go in there and you remove some of their buildings that causes their action economy to go down the tube like the moles or, or, or the lizards or something. Or the eerie, maybe you're causing them to turmoil to kind of break their engine or the cats. This is what we mean by checking a player. A player has got out to a lead, and we need to bring them back down. I like to think of Root as a race to 30 victory points where we all have our hands on each other's shoulders pulling each (laughs) other back. Hunter Donaldson once said on Space Cats Peace Turtles Root episode, he said, how do we make sure nobody wins this game? (laughs) And that is kind of what you're trying to accomplish with the social element of this game, because someone is always winning this game. Yeah. Someone's always in the lead, and it's important to see, it's not necessarily who has the most points, but somebody's winning this game, and it's important to keep track of who that is and how to convince the other players to see that your way. That quote from Hunter makes me laugh so much because do you guys know the concept of crabs in a bucket? No. Is this another song? No. <laughs> <laughs> so if there's like a, a you know a bunch of like crabs that are stuck in a bucket and one of them is like about to make it out, like all the other crabs will like grab it and pull it back down. Absolutely. Um, oh jeez. I know it's. <laughs> Dude, uh, that's that's the new game from Leader Games. Crabs in a bucket. <laughs> How do we make sure no one gets out of this bucket? Exactly, but I feel like Root is really uh, has a lot in common with Crabs in a Bucket, right? You just gotta yeah. make sure that nobody like for free gets to just run away and win the game. I can't think of another board game that has this more. And I think it's a symptom of the fact that there's 30 points. It's a number that is uh, high enough that you see it happening over several turns. And the point scoring method is slow enough that it we all can share that experience, right? Whereas, I mean, of course, we're always going to make the analogy of something like Twilight Imperium, where I think it also exists. But, like, because it's 10 points and because the point swings can go from like a point in a round to five points in a round it's hard to have too much of that we need to stop somebody it definitely happens a lot in that game but this one it happens every single time no matter what i feel like anytime i play root i'm like i have to be prepared for around turn five or turn six to start talking about how we're going to stop blank person that happens every time yeah 
Absolutely. And you're always going to be trying to convince people at the table uh, who is in the lead and who needs to be checked. Mm -hmm. And that is kind of one of the uh, arenas of Root is like, you know, even kind of before it's totally clear. Because sometimes in Root, when it is clear who's about to win, like it's almost too late. Right. So that the real game is before it becomes completely obvious who's about to win, who's in a good position to be about to win. Yeah. And uh, what can we all do to like kind of apply some pressure to them to make sure that they don't, you know, get too much. Um, and that requires talking. And uh, so, yeah, phrasing it as like, we need to check so-and-so's faction um, is a good way to kind of, get everyone thinking about ways to do that. Uh, and right. we can talk about dipping into the dark arts here in a little bit, but <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I think that's a, a good point to draw that line because we're not talking about throwing our whole game at them. We're not talking about like destroying them from the board and making sure they can't come back because we'll talk about this. That's usually not the best thing for you for this to go to a four player game to a three player game. You think that increases your odds to win, but it actually robs you of tools you need to help pull down the other two players. Yeah, the objective isn't to make sure they don't win. The I mean, that is the immediate objective is to make sure they don't win in service to you winning. Like, mm -hmm. if you sacrifice your ability to win, then what's the point? Right. So this, this idea of crabs in a bucket where we're all trying to keep each other down in the muck here, um, the community has come up with a great word called entanglement to describe this. Um, when we are basically we're making sure basically we're all making decisions together um, to make this game unfold as slowly as possible. We're not letting anyone get out to a big lead to surprise us with anything. We are taking things one thing at a time and no one's engine gets to be so much more powerful than anybody else's. And uh, by kind of taking this game one step at a time and becoming entangled, we this is where the social game really shines limited cooperation leads to entanglement in uh in my opinion and um entanglement starts small and snowballs into like really weird board states that i feel like are the most enjoyable part about root uh so when people talk about entanglement being a good thing that's that's kind of why i see it as a good thing um a quick kind of example about like early in the game starting some entanglement could be as simple as like there's sympathy in like a really key clearing and I'm not in that clearing but I've identified that as like something that is a big threat so like maybe I can offer something to somebody at the table who can deal with that sympathy and that we can like cooperate in a limited way to prevent a third player from getting a huge advantage and that already creates like some really interesting uh, threads and some entanglement. So what are you going to give them, Kyle? Physical money in real life? Because we can't trade resources in Root. So what kind of a deal can we make? Physical money in real life? <laughs> <laughs> I'll just throw down some woodland bucks. Um, I'll give you, I'll you write you a check for $45 right now. It <laughs> was a good amount of money for like somebody to attack a sympathy. Um, you can buy half of you a You can buy a retail game. version of Root if I yeah. if, if you... <laughs> I'm a professional sympathy squasher, uh, freelance. <laughs> I make 60k a year for taxes. <laughs> no health benefits, unfortunately, but I love my job. 
<laughs> get to pick my own hours. Strong union. <laughs> you have a union? Yeah. <laughs> we need to unionize. <laughs> <laughs> We've been kept down by the cats too long. I mean, you in that case, you'd be like busting unions, right? So you'd be a union of union busters. Like. Absolutely, yeah. <laughs> oh my gosh, we just broke the magic circle and brought it back in. My entire action economy for this every turn. I would say something legit to offer in that kind of case is um, saying like, no contest over this clearing or I will leave you alone where you are vulnerable here on my next turn. You know, make it make a a kind of limited specific deal to kind of uh, check another player, you know, so limited cooperation leads to entanglement. Yeah, you're not you're not just you're not uh, you're not just limited to the actions on your board, right? There's a whole lot of actions you can have in the social realm. So like, (laughs) though, we're all playing an asymmetric game of warfare. We're playing a very symmetric game of communication. So uh, we all operate on the same rules in terms of like uh, we all want something and we all can get something done. Right. So finding out what your opponents slash partners have to offer and also offering things on your own is a wise aspect because they might not notice. There's a lot of, as we've mentioned several times in this podcast, there's a lot of things to pay attention to in this game. Uh, Mm -hmm. Most of which is actually written down on pieces of paper and cards and boards on this table, right? But there's plenty of stuff to pay attention to that's not written down at all. That's those visual cues. That's those audio cues. That's just those social cues that you have to start picking up if you want to compete. Another good example is like if the river folk have like a whole bunch of funds and, you know, this is kind of a classic dilemma of like, well, you could pay the river folk for like a great card or something, but that would give them a huge advantage. And it requires the other three players to like cooperate in a kind of limited way to say like, we have to starve this faction. Yeah. (laughs) And like, maybe that means that we make a deal so that like the person right before them doesn't like totally stab us in the back or whatever. But uh, it, yeah. Agreeing to cooperate is easiest early in the game when it's unclear who's about to win. I feel like this is where the meta, and at least being familiar with it, can kind of help you as a player. Like, um, Otters are a good example, but oh, so is Vagabond, too. I feel like when Vagabond comes to the table, especially now, there tends to be a lot of heat at them from a lot of people. So, like, that player, if you know that there's heat at them, that player playing the Vagabond, Vagabond probably knows that as well. So... You already have an edge to them if you're sympathetic to them because they feel like the underdogs in some way. So they may be more willing to give you a deal if they feel threatened. And same goes for the river folk if they feel starved for funds. I find that the river folk in the games that I've played with them uh, in general get like, don't give them any money. If you want their card, just don't do it. And the Riverfolk crank up their prices because they're trying to make one big sale. And uh, Riverfolk are the most interesting to me in terms of this meta conversation because they are the ones who can affect their interaction the most by that scaling, by that um, sliding scale of prices, right? Like they get a chance to really determine how much they want to be interacted with. And beyond the meta of what other people think about them is their own determination of what they'll allow the meta to come to. Yeah, I, it maybe is uh, a little bit premature to talk about the river folk before we've finished laying out our initial <laughs> concepts here because they interact with the game above the game. Right, right. Pretty so explicitly. Yeah, I, I don't think it's too early. I think it's just important because they are they are an exception to the rule in some ways, right? And honestly, so is the vagabond because of his alliance aspect. I think. Yeah, I called these both factions interaction factions. 
uh, socially because they can like literally give you things. There's like trades that are made within the game. Right. Woodland Alliance almost to a certain extent too because we all know if I walk into that clearing, I'm giving them a card, but I could use that for them to revolt on somebody else. So I think Woodland Alliance to a lesser extent, but Otters are number one and then Vagabond are very interaction focused. And so there's going to be a lot of what we talk about uh, that can affect those two factions. Woodland Alliance is a good example, too, because they are just like an inevitability, right? Mm-hmm. And you just know that something's going to happen with them, so you're trying to steer them away from you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I've seen Woodland Alliance players have to negotiate where a base goes down a lot because a table will just like, you're not going to get away with something cheap, right? Yeah. Your revolt is not going to be something that like takes out a bunch of board presence. Like, I'll let you revolt in the corner. They you know? have to do the, a lot of meta work because everybody's terrified of what they're capable of. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. They get shut down. I think we discussed that earlier and we'll probably discuss it next week when we talk about them. But like they get the most heat early on because they're the most capable of clearing clearings. Yeah. And all this like kind of entanglement stuff uh, kind of can be summed up. Uh, well, uh, Justin K gave us a lot of great stuff on the Woodland War Machine channel on the Good Time Society Discord this week. He says that no root win is self-made. There's nearly always at least one other player at the table who wittingly or not helped you set up. And I think that's 100% true. <laughs> I hadn't heard that quote. You have to be like willing to have that happen to you too, right? Mm-hmm. Like in my semifinals game against Lily, I crafted Charm Offensive and I gave Lily multiple points throughout the game and she won you know she just eked it out so if i hadn't given her one of those charm offensive points who knows or a couple of those charm offensive points i don't know i can't remember but the point is is that we're all going to get entangled and that means that one we're all going to feel a little dirty when somebody wins because we kind of helped that person at some point boy i kind of want every victory that people claim in root to have to be required to thank one of the other players for your victory <laughs> i feel like people are really nice after they win a game of root they're like hey good game guys like it's like because you feel bad <laughs> well yeah yeah because it was such a social entanglement that you can't take full mm-hmm. credit mm-hmm. you didn't like outmaster three people you weaseled your way to the top <laughs> Which brings me to, I've been watching a ton of Survivor over the last year, and I feel like a lot of the game theory is fairly similar in terms of avoiding heat, of like keeping a low profile, Mm. and honestly, just how far respect can get you in a thing, and knowing when a game is just a game. All these kinds of things, In if you watch the television show Survivor, you can kind of transport into this root entanglement meta about 40 percent of what we know about root we learned from survivor (laughs) (laughs) for those of you who might not know what survivor is because it is like a 20 year old show at this point but that's still going it's like a reality show game show where uh players uh are put on an island to literally survive together right and forage for food and shelter and then Mm -hmm. they occasionally vote each other off of the island based on their each other's participation but also the meta on the island (laughs) right yeah but then the big thing is at the end, when it comes down to the final contestants, then all the people that they voted out previously are the people who choose which one of the winners win. Right. So you need to charm them on your way out the door. Right. The way out so the door. literally, the 
like when they're checking people, when they're voting people out, they have to do so in a way where they can still rescue that vote at the end. And I think that there's something about that here. You have to hit somebody, but not in a way that makes them go, God, you can't win. You destroyed me and I want revenge, right? You can't. And, and that is one of the reasons why I'm going to call this the war game for nice guys is because, or nice people is that the, the game inherently wants to keep everybody as competitive as possible. That is probably the best for everyone um, to keep a close game. And so, whereas like twilight imperium, like if you can eliminate somebody, you probably (laughs) should. Right. But in root, First of all, most factions can't be eliminated, and the faction that can will know that you're trying to do it and will end your game. Like, you can mutually end each other's games en route very easily. If you guys decide that it's a bloodbath between you, one of the other players will win without a doubt. There's a concept in Twilight Imperium called Forever Wars, (laughs) where uh, two neighbors or, uh, you know, two people who are competing over a certain uh, group of planets or planet just kind of like continually you know butt heads and fight in a certain area and thereby like weaken themselves like weaken each other and allow the other players at the board to grow more comfortably and uh that same dynamic is at play in root for sure i've been trapped in forever cold wars a lot in ti where it's like okay i'm gonna take that system next turn like just give me one more turn like or vice versa where i say give me one more turn right and then four hours later they're like well we we were gonna do this right i said yeah i said that last round which admittedly was four hours ago but (laughs) there's just so many things to consider with these things because it just takes so freaking long and in root that can be that can kind of be the same thing it's obviously not on the same scale but there are there are some like agreements that you do make at some point that uh you can't hold to later on right oh we'll talk about the difference between lying and backing out of a deal and is there a difference and i think (laughs) there is but we'll talk about it i do want to touch on the importance of turn order and what that does to the meta for a second because if river folk are in the game especially this i mean turn order makes a big difference anyway because it dictates who's at the top of that rhythm or tempi of scoring where, uh, you know, that person's probably going to finish the race first. They started first, after all. It's a race. Uh, so um, knowing how fast that faction can score and all that is going to be a huge uh, part of that. But when the river folk are in the game, who is directly after the river folk is first going to have first choice of things to buy, which is fantastic. Namely the cards, and- right? Yeah, the cards, yeah. I, I, I guess the mercenaries, too, because those are technically limited if they take advantage of them, right? Right. If they use mercenaries and then battle a bunch of them away, then there's less for other people to use, right? But even beyond the value of, like, one specific card or, like, two if you're going crazy, like, once those meeples are in the payments box, <laughs> who else is going to add more payments on, you know? Like, you've already bought from the river folk, and then everybody else at the table is like, well, we could just give river folk the win by... <laughs> Uh, giving up all of our meeples, or uh, now we have to wait. Listener, you know? Listeners, I, I know you can't see Kyle's face, but when he said the phrase, when those meeples are in the payments box, he got so physically exhausted by the thought of that. I just want you to know, like, don't give the river folk too much, because you'll break Kyle. 
Yeah. It personally offends me. (laughs) (laughs) I I, I hear that. I I think that's right, right? The first person after the river folk can kind of buy things and be like, all right, guys, we need to stop the river folk. And it's like, oh, great. Well, thanks for doing that, you know? Um, But they kind of can. I mean, that's like the advantage of going in that place in turn order. You do see the dollar bills on the river folks board that are clearly yours, though, because it's made up of your meeples. So you know who to point the finger at. So there is that meta, too, right? It says $45 in the corner of the check. The name <laughs> part of it is just blank. You know who it's to. And uh, I just want them to write my name in there. But th- that also kind of works if you're going last in turn order, like, you know, right before the river folk, right? Because everyone could like fly the mission do a great job starve the river folk the two in front of you and then it's your turn <laughs> yeah and you could be like well they're gonna get to anyway like i might as well <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> there it is that's exactly what we're talking about is like talking against the thing that you end up doing right yeah. is that lying or going back on a deal I, am i supposed to wait sam no i no well i mean i think the river folk especially there there's a lot of like is that going back on a deal kind of things and like Certain factions, I feel like it's more acceptable to buy from the river folk, right? If you see a cats player buying a bird card, you're like, "Good for you. You need that. I'm Good not gonna hold you. that against you." You know, absolutely. Yeah. And then if I see a lizard player buying an extra card, I'm like, "You need it." You know, if I see a moles player buying a card, I'm like, "Why?" You know, you were already fine. You know, let's that, that that's going to attract my attention towards the mole player rather Interesting. than Interesting. So that's a meta that you carry into the magic circle. If you see a mole by a card, you are suspicious. Well, it's just that yeah, the moles can get going good already and if they are of all the factions at the table to buy from the river folk, I don't want the moles to because you're going to be fine either way. The cats and the lizards or the crows or something crafting a good card or something. I I can understand and see that they are the player that needs to buy from the river folk this turn and uh and i'm i accept it but yeah there are certain factions in certain situations where it's like you're a you're helping out river folk and you're signaling to us that you're going to start the race to the end and if you think you can leave the three of us yeah then w- all these crabs are going to grab you and pull you back down to the bottom of this bucket uh, that's what i feel really defines the end game of root is when someone makes the sprint right the sprint yep. towards the finish line whether or not they can do it this turn like it that's the most dangerous time is when you claim the dominance card right and you've got all of the the three clearings you need and you're like now i got to hold on that's definitely the beginning of the sprint or when someone gets to 28 in a turn or something like that right, you right. know they have a plan to get to 30 so uh that's when everything like everybody puts their hands on the table and tries to figure out what to do the issue with like going back on a deal quote unquote or lying and the difference between them is that every turn changes the state of the board right yes so what may have been true two turns ago is not necessarily true this turn right so it's not that your opinion may have changed is that the state of the game has genuinely changed and therefore your opinion might have to like it like the the river folk might now be ha- might now be hamstrung to a position where they can't do anything with the funds that you're about to give them for that awesome card that you can now craft that you told people to not get right right yeah i think uh when you choose to lie and when you choose to back out of a deal can be key moments and i would say you definitely don't want to back out of a deal. You don't want to hurt any relationship you have at the table until you're ready to do your sprint. When... Well, a lie is like the hurting of a relationship, right? Like, yeah, exactly. Lying is bad outside the circle. Don't do it. 
Okay, but inside the circle, this is a game of warfare, and this is a game partially of deception to win war, right? Like, we've brought up the example, I think, before we started recording about whether you have an ambush card and you tell people you don't or whatever. Like, the, this is a game of warfare. You you don't tell people the ambush is coming. You don't write to the British soldiers and let them know, hey, we're going to jump you at this junction. <laughs> like, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I will say, though, we're all playing a game here, and I think that blatant lying we don't need we don't need what is blatant it. lying yeah so like a blatant lie is i don't have it on my turn and then they do have it on their turn and there was nothing like i i understand saying like i don't know things gotta go right this is all a weird like grayscale. you know it when you see it uh but like oh, well, when, but wait, wait hold on sorry sam we need to define it though like you know it when you see it isn't good enough for like us defining what a lie is right a lie is saying like uh, in a blatant lie i mean like you want everyone to believe one thing and then as soon as it's your turn you just flip that and you're like no that wasn't true and i feel like there's differences between like laying low shading your points being deceptive and like a blatant lie. A blatant lie doesn't feel fun. It doesn't feel like a good game move. What if you're it playing just, the Corvids? Well, if if somebody goes, is that a bomb? I would say, are you gambling a card to expose it? <laughs> I wouldn't give them an answer before. But are you be are you suggesting that anybody who gives an answer that isn't truthful is a liar and therefore sh isn't playing fairly? Like that's the thing. Is like this game is. I understand that you'd want to still have a friendship with the people at the table, but within the magic circle, that's the whole point of the magic circle is deception is okay at some point, right? I guess where where is that line? I think that um, blatant lying is a valid method to win a game of root. <laughs> I agree. I you will say bastards. that. I will say that directly. I will say that directly. Now, choosing to blatantly lie in order to win a game of root. While that it's a legitimate way to get to that result, I think there's, you know, we do step into the magic circle, but we don't erase our memories at the end of it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, the type of player that is comfortable blatantly lying their way to victory will gain... Uh, Notoriety. Some, <laughs> yeah, infamy, yeah, right? Yeah. And when that player has gained such uh, an infamous reputation, that will go into the meta mix in the future. And that's one of the reasons why I think a root community is, has formed and is so cool uh, is because like the personalities that play the factions uh, kind of persist across the games. And, uh, you know, we have scoundrels amongst the players. Mm -hmm. I've been a scoundrel from time to time. Sure have. We'll, we'll talk about anecdotes later, but uh, <laughs> yeah, I've, I've done some shady things. It's great. <laughs> I think that's allowed, but I think largely, though, if you rely on a strategy of blatant lying, um, I don't think that's a very uh, sustainable strategy. No, it's the boy that cried wolf situation, right? Like, yes. it definitely won't work in that case, because then no one will trust you. The whole point of, like, deception is to gain their trust. And maybe this is, like, the meta of the meta or something, but, like, I I think there are social strategies that are better than blatant lying. So I want to push back on you, Sam, and say that blatant lying is totally a way to do it, but I will agree with you in saying that I think there's more uh, more effective ways to win more games 
by not being the person who blatantly lies in every game. <laughs> I also want to really make it a very clear point here that like deception and blatant lying outside of the magic circle, uh, we do not endorse, right? But the magic circle allows us to be people that we are not and do things that we wouldn't normally do because we were operating in the rules of the game. And so... I, yeah. I and, disagree. And I, say that, I disagree, guys. Well, you think I, lying is so cool? I life? literally think lying is way more okay in real life. <laughs> I, I think it... Like, if you have to lie to, like, get through your day or whatever, like, whatever you got to do, okay? But we all are trying to have some fun right now. And if you're just going to, like, take my game and just completely sour it by convincing us all of one thing and then doing the exact opposite, I don't know. Like, there's a line that can be crossed there where, like, yeah, like you guys said, like, well, you'll just kind of pay for it overall in the meta, and if you're playing with me, I will make sure that you do. But on TTS, I feel like sometimes, like we said, the anonymity, maybe people feel like they can get away with it. And I'm here to tell you, I'm coming for you. Totally. I My whole thing is that like, if I'm suspicious of a player's motives, or if I sense that this person is kind of trying to get me to do something against my best interest, if that spidey sense socially for me is right. tingling, I listen to that. Mm -hmm. I really trust that. And uh, I will rarely, I mean, I say this, I'm sure there's pr plenty of examples that have been like saved in VODs of me like doing terrible <laughs> moves. But I feel like I rarely will like put myself out or like make myself weak because I'm just like trusting somebody who said something weird. Like, you when, know? Yeah. When else also like when else but in the magic circle do we get to play this game of deception, right? Like when else do we get to lie to our friends? Like this is the time to 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 role play a little bit to actually play that game of hiding secrets from each other because we shouldn't be doing that in real life. I mean, I know you were being facetious, Sam, but like white lies in life are, are okay because of like social acceptance to like have a reaction to somebody's statement, right? But like in this game, this is the one time where we want to be able to, like, no, I don't have that. I couldn't possibly do what you want me to. And like, <laughs> I am king of the woodland now. Like, that's what we're fighting for. We're not fighting exactly. for it to, to, like, okay, let's, like, as much as I want to have a handshake in a good game, and I want everybody to feel like after the game we all had a good time, but we had a good time in competition with each other. Yeah. I want everyone to be, like, a great general together. I think that's a, a really fun thing to uh, you know, try and fill those shoes of like a great strategist, a great, uh, you know, war leader of your faction. Things that are not okay to blatantly lie about are like, uh, did you see that person's hand? Um, oh, yeah. When you weren't supposed to see it? Like anything that's like kind of cheating. That's cheating. cheating or that is the cheating. Rules or whatever. 100%. Like, yeah. Mm -hmm. That kind of blatant lying is not fun and shouldn't be. Allowed. I also think there's a difference between blatant lying of like uh, I don't have an ambush card and like maybe someone asking you if you have the victory next turn and saying no I do not I think there's a difference there because the whole point of having your hand is that it's hidden like that is hidden yeah. information that they are not privy to and they are supposed to be scared of because there's a card in your hand they don't know what it is so you lying about that is 100% okay but if you know for a fact that you are going to win next turn and then you and they say are you going to win next turn and you literally say no i think that's a that's a very different thing i'm not saying it's oh, yeah. not acceptable uh because i think still in a game of warfare and competitive warfare it is but i think they are different levels of deception slash lying i agree i agree blatant lying if somebody says do you have it on your turn and you do what the f what are you supposed to say you don't have right? to say yes or no 
Right, but if you don't, then you're saying that, yes, you have it. Like, I get that. That's and they shouldn't th- ask that question because well, th- they're asking to But you to can't help to. what other people are going to ask, though, Sam. No, I know, I know. Well, I, I'm, I'm the one who seems to be the Puritan that's saying you can't lie, I guess. But what I do, I don't mean that we can't deceive each other. Um, I just think that there there are certain things like blatant lying in games. I'm trying to think of a good example in Root where I, I feel like it does cross the line. Um, but always these rules can almost always be broken if it means you're going to win, right? But only when you're going to win. Well, <laughs> you know well, I mean? uh, but if it's, to, if it's to service to a win though, right? Yeah, but if you just like blatantly lie early in the game, I just feel like it's not a good move. And it, it yeah, it's a it's bad all around. I feel like those moments where you're going to attract heat, you want to do right before you make your move to win the game. Let's say uh, Kyle has a he is otters. He has a sick ass card that you and I both want, Sam, uh, on for sale, and he t- he turns up the price. I go next, and I'm like, ugh, I kind of want that card. And you hear me say it out loud, and you're like, don't get it, Jake. It wouldn't benefit you because we can't give him that stuff. But you clearly want that card because it could give yeah. you the win, right? Would you? Yeah. And, and if I asked you, Sam, should I buy that card? You wouldn't be obliged to say yes to me because you wouldn't want to lie. That I you would do some th- dark art survivor stuff. This is exactly how I would respond. And I as would a competitive like player, I would want you to do that. You should. Uh, I don't know. Can we afford to give him all that? <laughs> I would ask questions like that to make you doubt that decision, but I wouldn't say... Well, I'm definitely not getting it, so you shouldn't either, right? I, I think just because it's just, it's still deception. I think we're splitting hairs at this point of the style of how we would do it, right? Right. And let's get into it further, okay? Going down from blatant lying, let's kind of talk about point shading slash underselling, which I am a huge proponent of. Um, this is more or less like, um, you know, you're not scoring all the points you possibly could in order to put yourself in a more favorable position to the rest of the table so that you're not out in the lead. This is also underselling maybe like your capabilities. I I do this all the time where uh, somebody goes, hey, can can you attack that player? And I go, I don't know if I can do the whole job. I don't know if I can get all the way through the building. Maybe on your turn, you could go in there and weaken it a little bit. I've, right? I've asked you questions and you've always replied to that. I don't think you've ever said, I'll take care of it, Jake. You always like, well, <laughs> no. oh, I don't know. This is, this is my big proponent of the meta is otherwise you're going to get stuck with turn order situations where somebody goes, you're next in line, you deal with it. And that's a hard reality to break out of. And so what I like to do is I like to make sure, hey, everyone from the person, you know, Jake went and Jake's the problem. Then every person after Jake, I go, make sure that we're dealing with Jake so that by the time it gets around to me, it's not just my responsibility. And I don't have to throw my whole turn to do something for the table. If the table's going to do something, we all have to be invested with our actions. I've seen you do this in games before, and I do think that it's uh, effective to try and like form the coalition. Mm-hmm. But this makes me kind of ask this question, which is regarding turn order, is the most advantageous thing to do to hamstring the person who's right after you in the turn order so that later in the game, they're not in a position to like win so that you don't get stuck being the like last one to have to do something, tie yourself in knots to like keep the game alive. Mm, Example. Yeah. You know, if, if you go right before the cats, Mm-hmm. And 
you don't do anything to the cats the whole game and they get out to like a super big lead. You know, they activate a dominance card or whatever. Then the other two players who go immediately after the cats before you can say, I'm going to keep scoring points. I'm going to build a building. And then it comes to you and you're like, well, if I do nothing, then they just win right away. So like I have to spend my whole action turn and, uh, you know, my, my whole turn stopping them. They're, they've kicked the can and now it falls to me. So to prevent that, uh, you just kneecap the person who's right after you in the turn order so that it never is down to you as the last person. Wait, do you, don't is, you mean cat? I thought cats were after you in turn order. Yeah, exactly. So you would kneecap the cats throughout the game instead of uh, allowing them to like get too strong. Yeah, yeah, I see. That makes sense. Uh, it's kind of that upstream theory of turn order where it's like, as long as I deal with that player, I think that could be right. Um but then you're just you just have to run that calculus against what the person to your right can do to you after you've spent your actions dealing with the cats. To me, the turn order isn't nearly as important in this scenario. I know it definitely plays a factor into like who can do what when, but like what's more important in that scenario that you outlined, Kyle, is like talking to the other players. Like if they say they're gonna, if they tell you that they're just gonna score points, I don't think you should feel obliged to. No. To, to just uh, waste your turn hamstringing the cats because, would you say kneecapping? I guess whatever type of leg damage you want to do to the cats. Um, <laughs> it's not dependent on you because it's going to come to their turn next. And, like, let's say you do something selfish on your turn instead and not, and not hinder the cats. Then you need to look at them in their turn and say, the cats are going to win in two turns now. What are you going to do? Like, put the pressure on them. Like, you have th- – there's there's an equal three-way pressure to stop the cats. Just because you're next in the turn order doesn't make you the uh, the most pressured. This is what I would call bullying tactics in the most subtle degree. Of Cats have ac- activated dominance. Then the next two players don't do anything about it, bullying you yeah. to do it. And how I would respond to that if I were you, Kyle, is do nothing about it and let the cats win on dominance. And say, I would literally do that. I'd go, and the next time you play, you better be ready to get entangled. Oh, no. See, that seems almost like bad sportsmanship to me. Now, that's crossing a line because that's forming a meta off of a bad decision. No, I was being bullied to have to deal with the cats. So you sacrificed the game? So you king-maked? No, I'm king-making by having to decide between the cats and the players racing. And I choose not to king-make. You, the beginning By of that sentence nothing. was, I am king-making. The ending of that sentence was, I am not king-making. Which one Right, because <laughs> the first part of the sentence was what you had proposed, which is interfering in any way with the cat's dominance is king-making the two players racing for the victory. Because they chose to make it a race versus dominance and make me the decider? I, I, I just wouldn't respond to i don't uh, there's a, a game that no one can watch of me not responding to being bullied by people that's, playing Root. that in particular is a, is an unwinnable scenario that's like okay by stopping the cats one of them wins then yeah i guess you i guess then you right. if you are put in the position of king making okay but i right. think in root that's a pretty rare occurrence to say that like i mean m- maybe it happens more often than i'm speaking to but in most of these scenarios, we are operating under the the idea that by stopping someone, we are giving ourselves a chance to win. In that yeah, scenario, it doesn't sound like there is one. But that, I think that's also – just zooming out real quick, this is a, a, a root thing overall is the meta is you have to at some point in the game stop other players. It's not right. just about you need to attain a goal. It's you have to stop other players from attaining the goal. And I know we've kind of hit on that already, so it may seem redundant, but it is – 
it I I think it's an equal priority to level thir- to getting thirty points is making sure other people don't because it's going to happen more. A hundred percent, Jake, and I think that those two players racing uh, in that scenario that we had laid out aren't doing that. Right? They aren't interacting. They're not bopping other people. They're choosing to be uninteractive, and that way I'm going to make them pay for not playing the game. They're can kickers. Yep. They're bucket so holders. <laughs> These crabs are going to pull them down. Yeah, no, they're just letting that crab escape. And you're like, they're, they're expecting you to be the crab that like yeah. <laughs> goes up and gets them. Um, so w- would you say that like kicking the can is like an aggressive social thing to do in Root? No, I think, I think only when it gets to end game does it really like kicking the can feels like a real problem. I think that certain factions are just going to kick the can. You can't expect the lizards to do something about everything, you know? Uh, Certain factions have different, you know, tools that they have access to. So I think you have to keep all of that in a grain, with a grain of salt. You have to keep it with a grain of salt, Kyle. Keep it with a grain of salt. Um, (laughs) You have to salt it slightly. Yeah. And if I was going to offer like a a counter example of when a faction should definitely kick the can instead of listen to pressure from other players to get entangled, it would be uh, the the finals game for the winter tournament uh, that I played in, there was uh, the lizards faction was in that game. And there was a critical moment when uh, me as the eerie and one other player were applying some pressure to the lizards player to go after the moles. Right. And it was definitely in the lizards best interest to just stay put. Don't do anything, protect their stuff and just like hang tight, you know, like don't, don't move out. (laughs) Don't do anything to stop the moles. That was the move. That was probably the right move. And instead me and this other player like kept on trying to like wear this person down to like get them to help us stop the moles from getting ahead. And they eventually caved and helped us out and then were immediately destroyed. (laughs) And they and they they didn't kind of like get a chance to get ahead in that game ever again. Right. And that was definitely a time when they should have refused to help. <laughs> but yeah, but it's that's totally acceptable. This it's war. We're in the woodland warfare. You have to do that. You have to like it's not just arranging your meeples and getting your warriors in the best position and uh getting the best roles and and crafting the best stuff. It is manipulation of the other people at the table and when i say manipulation like i mean it in the good and bad sense is like you have to you have to kind of pull the strings on other people a little bit and i want to say quickly just to to give even a little bit more context to help this out is that the the lizards play up to that point had done very little to affect the board state in any way of course and so in the story of that game unfolding the river folk and i were able to leverage that fact to induce this player to to do something and i think that if that player had been a little proactive earlier in the game we wouldn't have had that leverage that context that lever to pull uh to make them you know give up a a good position (laughs) i got another uh great thing here from justin k he says where root goes from being good to being great is when the table is all about understanding what your faction's role should be versus what a player might want to be doing to actually win that game. And I think that's a great example that you've said there, Kyle, where the lizards player 
is like I, I want to just kind of play my game here and then everyone's like well you know what you should do for the table is you should do this and those kinds of decisions are the meaningful decisions that make winning a game of root so satisfying I think Kyle you had mentioned something about other tactics to take here we kind of talked about point shading and underselling ourselves a little bit but I want to talk about the high road okay this is when you're, you you do the right thing, you're the golden boy, and you're just hoping that after all, if you do good things, good things will happen to you, okay? This often, I've seen you do this a lot, Kyle, where you will actively be the police early in the game for the sake of the game or stuff like that, or you will show everybody how you are policing so that we're all giving you the proper credit that you deserve at the table for doing that, right? I feel like have you guys experienced this in games somebody trying to take the high road and and, and show how how mm -hmm. competent they are playing this meta game mm -hmm. yeah it's very common in in twilight imperium for the hakand player or like whoever got trade first to be like everybody refresh your commodities <laughs> i am a benevolent trade dictator yeah, like, and in Root the same way. And also, like, the meta of Kyle in our group is that Kyle is, outside of the magic circle, one of the kindest, sweetest people we know. And there's not, like, a mean bone in Kyle's body. But we've all right. been betrayed by Kyle within the magic circle. And we felt the wrath. He really takes advantage of that magic circle. <laughs> but that's such a great thing. And also, like, Kyle mentioned it with, like, the goodwill of the Lizards player in that game if they had done some policing early on, right? And you, you kind of leverage that against them of the fact that they hadn't done that i think that's a brilliant and really great choice uh, uh this is a brilliant uh tactic within the game is to like take the context of what has happened already on the past four turns and like everybody knows that like like you said sam the lizard player just wants to play their game by themselves and honestly i think every faction wants to play their game by themselves when you're looking at your board and p figuring out how to get to 30 points you're rarely factoring in the other players unless you are one of those um factions that needs to go raid other people's tokens pretty often right it's like it's really about how can i optimize everything on at on my actions or my turns to get to 30 points not how can I optimize my actions and also deal with what's his face across the table that we rarely think about that ahead of time. So it's always like a, it's a hindrance to go after other people. So you have to convince them. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yes. Opportunism, I think is, is uh, something kind of like socially that is that you have to be really aware of in root. Um, I think it's really hard to sell somebody the idea that they have to like uproot their whole strategy and go over to a different part of the board and like do some like complicated thing. Uh, I think it's an easier sell to be like, hey, you're in that clearing. Just just smack the vagabond. Right. Like you're next to him. Like you just get him. <laughs> um, but in terms of the high road, like I think this is a mistake that I made for the first like many dozens of root games that I played was I really did want to show the board that I was working in their best interest so that they would leave me alone and that I could win the game. Mm -hmm. And it just never worked out that way. No, they're like, oh, good, you're the table cops. All right, see you later, copper. Well, also, we have the memory of goldfish in this game. Like, I mean, after after three turns, who cares what you did on round one? <laughs> like, the cats are going to win. I don't care that you were nice to me and gave me a good trade on the otter's turn a while ago. Like, it doesn't matter. I, I agree with you, Kyle. Like, moving in, moving into, like, the, the good player um, – 
motif too. We, we've talked about giving advice or like potentially pointing out other options for other players that are good for them, but also maybe good for your personal outcome and whether that's deceptive or helpful or both. And I, I think it's both. Um, but this is a thing that I actually get accused of a lot when I offer other people advice because I'll offer people advice. They'll see the advice uh, is valuable to them and they'll see the advantage they get. And then they look over and they peer at me and they're like, what are you trying to do, Jake? And I was like, no, no, uh, legitimately, this is a good move for you. And it is legitimately a good move for them, but it also might benefit me. But like they, they always, they only hear the deception of like, but it also might benefit you. <laughs> it's like, yes, right. it's also a good move. <laughs> Yeah, and it's like, you know, it's hard if you're teaching root or whatever, you might have to point out a move that might be like bad against you, but when you're playing competitive mm -hmm. or whatever, you're never going to do this. Yeah, the right? teaching role you kind of carry into the magic circle a little bit. That kind of breaks the barrier a little bit. So mm -hmm. that there is that factor. You need someone guiding you. Mm -hmm. Uh I got this great thing from Opie's funeral here on the Woodland uh War Machine Discord. It, he said, if you're a competent root player, I see no reason why you should hesitate to point out potentially strong moves or opportunities to your opponents and or be the one who reminds them to score a point or use their crafted cards. Do this right from the beginning of the game. Not only does it m mean everyone feels that they are playing optimally and having fun and therefore making it more likely that you'll play more root with them in the future, the ultimate goal. But in the short term, it also solidifies you as an authoritative slash trustworthy figure that can make all the difference in the end game. Players will be much more likely to hear out your king bashing plan and or overlook your own position. I love that. I mean, that's the thing. Like, if you win by deception, at the end of the game, you don't want everyone to hate you. You want everyone to slap you on the back and say, hey... You really got us. <laughs> nice job yeah. with that. That was really fun. I'm <laughs> I'm glad I lost you in that way. That was very clever. Not like you, didn't, yeah. you said you didn't have that ambush. <laughs> yeah, right, you right. wanted that... to be from a place of goodwill. I love. Also, who wants to win because someone missed moving their score marker? That's the most oh hollow God. win in the world. Yeah. Like if someone crafts something and forgets to score the point, like that doesn't even feel fun to win. That's 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 taking advantage of someone's oversight. So you should 100% be helping keep track of that. That's just good sportsmanship. Yeah, and the best part is, like, hopefully if everyone's engaged at your table in doing this, then you don't have to point out the things mm -hmm. where it affects you. <laughs> you know, you have two other players that can help that third player out to remind them to use saboteurs to get rid of your coffin makers or whatever the situation is where you're trying to... I like someone. that... Uh, the Opie Funeral points out that the goal is to play more root in the future. Yeah. Uh, I think that's a that's a good goal. Um, I want to propose another goal, which is to have the maximum amount of like imagination and insight uh, about you know your future turns in a game of of root. Like that, you know, have the most strategic like foresight possible and still be like pretty present in the game. And one way to kind of weaponize that in a high road sort of way is to just like use positive language. Like mm -hmm. instead of being like, don't hit me here, which, you know, what does that make them think of? Like, Oh, like I should probably hit this player there or whatever. Like maybe like identify something that would be super sweet for them to do or like identify a weakness in an opponent or somebody in the lead or whatever. Right. You know, if the, if the eerie is winning, maybe be like, Hey, they have a suited card in recruit. Like, Maybe we should go after those roosts. So when you say, like, be positive, you mean provide, like, uh, 
a action that they can undertake that is advantageous to them, not a, not dissuading them from something that's negative to you. Exactly, mm-hmm. which sounds like splitting hairs, but really it just is, I feel like, socially a good way to sort of orient your language. Yeah, I think that's a very dis- – no, I don't think that's splitting hairs at all. I think that's a very important distinction because, as you mentioned, if you, if you point out, hey, don't do this to me – you are saying this is a vulnerability I have and like will crumble my strategy, right? All it only points more attention, especially also for the other players who don't have a turn right now. They also see that, right? But if you <laughs> point out have a couple minutes to mull over exactly how to make your life hard, right? It's better to highlight other people <laughs> at the table. This is this is the issue that I have in my meta with with my friends uh, in all games. I think, especially because I'm the teacher. Uh, of a lot of the rules of my game is people are always assuming that I am pointing out advantageous things to my own benefit, which is not necessarily the case, especially in a lot of games where there's there's not a lot of player interaction. They think because I'm saying, hey, you should you could do this, which will gain you more of those things. They're like, OK, Jake, but what's in it for you, you silver tongue <laughs> devil? And like very often in non-competitive games, there's not anything for me. I'm genuinely trying to be a good teacher, but in competitive games like this one, there might be another angle that I'm going for, for sure. Yeah. And uh, yeah, we, we, we kind of see what the high road gets us. And I'd like to transition us to the lowest of low roads, bullying tactics, which um, definitely can happen in Rue. And I think we should talk about the pros and cons of these kind of like aggro things. Um, but I did want to note, like, table talk in general. Like, we are trying to communicate with people. We're trying to uh, convince people of our things. But if we're in the lead, then you're not going to be table talking too much. Because the only table talking you're going to be doing is, like, no, honestly, like, don't, please. <laughs> like, no. And... Right, like you can. I, I played a game with someone on TTS where they were the cats and they were in the lead the whole game, and he never stopped talking about how he was the cats, and eventually the cats are going to slow down. And he had like twenty five points, and he was still saying, "Yeah, but I'm the cats." And I, I kind of broke out of the magic circle for a second. I got a little mad, and I went, "You better lose, because <laughs> you've done nothing but tell us you're going to lose the whole game. And if you don't lose, I'm going to be mad." So, what would you offer as advice to someone in that position? Uh, my biggest advice is shut up when they're planning against you. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I always and I try to do this. If the table is trying to figure out how to check you, let them come up with their plan. Don't interrupt them. Let them do their thing, and then after they come up with their idea, you could you can counter propose something, but it probably won't. Or work talk about another just... subject. Did you see the new right. Mighty Ducks TV show, etc.? <laughs> right. I mean, right? Because I mean, what are you gonna do? You can't. It's not hypnosis. We're not trying to like trick people into thinking that I'm not gonna win this game when I am gonna win this game. Table talk is natural, but we need to respect each other and make sure, like, if other people are trying to plan something. We don't want to use table talk to interrupt people and kind of like control the game and use it for our dark arts here. So table talk can be used as a bullying tactic. We're not interrupting people on our turns. We want to have a civilized discussion because all of this is going to be more root for everybody and more competitive games for everybody. I realize there's like a a bad form to constantly saying how you won't win when you're obviously in the lead and staying in the lead. I, I get that. I guess I'm saying like, your advice is to a person who is in that position who's listening to three people actively talk about how to bring them down is to just not say anything which maybe that's valid i think that's probably valid but like i feel like people feel the pressure to address that fact and uh, 
if you have if you have twenty three points and you're the cats and you could potentially win it on your next turn, the the goal within the magic circle here is to win that game. So at some point you have to be deceptive, right? Like wh- where do you start that deception? I might say something like, "Well, if you stop me, who does that mean is going to win?" To try to split up the three that is trying to split me up. I think this is this is the real move. Is that like? What you want is to discoordinate your opponents. Okay. That is maybe the best way to win. Right. Is to make it very hard for them to coordinate. And yeah, I mean, don't be rude and like talk over people mm-hmm. who are trying to like communicate with each other. Like that's just, that's not good sportsmanship. Yeah. But I think there's no harm in saying, yeah, great plan, but like, after you've destroyed this clearing, doesn't that leave a vacuum for the Eerie to build another right. roost of that suit? And doesn't that mean that they will become unstoppable? Like, why not focus on a different clearing then? And just, you know, sort of like try and push and pull and, uh, you know, tug at those threads of discontentment among the other factions to, you know, because remember your, your enemy has an enemy. And uh, even if you're in the lead, the other three are still struggling to win. And, if you can convince even one person in that alliance that their position would ultimately be worse uh, for going along with whatever plan is proposed, that's good route. Yeah, <laughs> especially because these alliances that we're mentioning last for about 45 seconds, which is the length yeah. of this discussion, right? It's not a real alliance. It's an alliance between – or it's just a sit-down between three people who hate each other. Like yeah. there already is suspicion at their discussion table. They're already thinking, okay – if I stop the cats, the winner, whoever we're talking about, right? What am I sacrificing to do so? They're already thinking about that. So you, by reiterating that, Kyle, which I think is a great choice, are just kind of like heightening that caution that they have. Yeah. Good Good things to point out are like if there's an army faction that has to, you know, make a big play, like a big military play to try and, you know, attack someplace, point out the vulnerability they're leaving behind. You know, what space are they vacating in order to come attack mm-hmm. you? Uh, and just say, like, hey, you're creating this weakness in your position. Like, you sure you need all those guys, like, while you're holding that ambush in yeah, your hand? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, like, <laughs> uh, just, yeah, try and try and make, like, again, like, positive statements. Like, you are leaving behind this vacuum. Uh, you know, I, that to me feels, like, totally acceptable and not even that dark artsy, but just savvy, right? right. You're, you're, you're trying to use strategy and logic to convince your opponents to like uh not not stop you as best they can and and yeah you're not necessarily deceiving them if unless you're gonna win on that turn or whatever i guess because it is like somebody stopping you could be the power vacuum that player two needs to win the game and everyone aligned with player two should be aware of that so stating things like that i don't think are a problem at all i think that like you said kyle that's just being savvy the other thing, too, is that it's actually sometimes possible to, uh, um, and this is maybe a little more dark artsy, but it's it's sometimes possible to get opponents to overcommit to stopping you mm. um, in ways that they don't need to. Mm-hmm. That can actually help you win the game. Um, my, the particular example I have is as the cats, when players destroy buildings late in the game, that just opens up building slots, and that can actually help you win the game. <laughs> so, like... Uh, sometimes throwing a little log on that fire can be really useful and just say like, yeah, I mean, I pretty much got it. 
uh, you'd have to really do a lot of damage to me here for to stop me. Yeah. Sometimes I'll, I'll like posture like, all right, if if you think you can deal with an ambush or something, I might just like throw out the idea that I might have an ambush <laughs> to just like kind of make their numbers fuzzy, you know? Um, yeah. All right. So let's talk about the kind of more egregious side of these bullying tactics. Um, totally. The vagabond attacking the keep on turn one, a ranger vagabond usually comes in, crossbows the cat, rolls at least a one and takes out whatever building and or wood and the keep in that first clearing. Um, this is a great method of making sure the cats uh, can't get off to an early lead. But remember the self-balancing thing of root is that the cats will always be stopped kind of at the late end of the game anyway. So I would say the con here is that you're making a very uh, mobile enemy turn one. <laughs> Can we speak broadly about this as opposed to like specific examples of like, in general, doing something like this is like a game changer? Because I mean, it's again, we're in warfare, right? What are we, uh, it, it, why is this bad form? I will give two reasons why unnecessary early aggression is a bad idea in Root okay. specifically. In other games, it might actually be a good thing. In the game uh, Diplomacy, it might actually be really good to backstab your neighbor immediately and then like get them out of the game. Mm -hmm. Like Sometimes that can be a really good move. Uh, but in Root, especially because in most games with four players, like it's a pretty closed ecosystem. Uh, in Root, if, if you go out of your way to attack somebody else really, really early and totally hamstring them, you are removing somebody who down the line is going to help you stop the leader. And you are overextending, usually, yourself in order to accomplish that. Uh, in the example of the ranger attacking the keep on turn one, one of the, the issues that comes up with that is uh, once you go hostile, with the cats, it takes an extra boot to move into any clearing with a hostile warrior. The cats are everywhere, uh, so movement becomes extremely slow for the Vagabond and predictable and makes the Vagabond extremely vulnerable to the other factions. Um, and then in, in terms of table talk, you've just created a like blood feud right. between forever yourself war. and that player. A forever war. And what that does is it weakens both of you and makes the other two players at the table extremely happy. So I, th I think the key here in understanding what the, this bad form move is, it's not only that it hamstrings another person, because I think that actually kind of is acceptable. But what, what the issue is is that it causes you so much over um, extension in an early part of the game that you've sacrificed your potential just to stop another person, which is bad form. Is that what we're, is that and a fair if, way of saying if, that? Yeah, exactly. And if that player senses that they don't really have a, a shot at winning, like why wouldn't they just use every action available to them to slow you down for the rest of the game? It becomes the revenge game, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that's why you can't, that's why entanglement works so well is because when somebody feels that they are completely out of contention, they can imbalance the game even more. Because they have nothing to lose. You want everyone to have a stake in the game to make sure that you can use them when you need them. Mm -hmm. This is so good. Late in the game, honestly, anything goes. That's, right. Yeah. It, as the game goes on and broadens out, uh, you know, you can, you can make big plays. You can board wipe somebody. You can, you know, get really aggressive. Uh, I think specifically in those opening turns, it's probably best to 
play a little under the radar, to play a little bit flexibly and a little conservative. That, to me, seems to be the, the general philosophy to stick to with openings. So another example is the extortion otters. Uh, I've seen this in a game where the otters player will start near the keep and then move all of their warriors into the keep and make the cats pay them for mercenaries. What? Um, this is this is another very aggro strategy. Yes, this happened in uh, a game that I am not allowed to speak of, a game so, that was deleted from history. So when you say move in and force them to, it's because they need rule to do things there, therefore they have to buy it? Is that what you're saying? Yeah, yeah. You, I mean, the cats don't have to buy it, and I would encourage cats not to. Any of these bullying tactics, I literally will just make sure that the person knows that at the end of this game that it won't work. So this is a very aggro move that the otters can do, and I've not seen it really be successful. And it's even worse than the Vagabond attacking the keep turn one to me because it's just more short-sighted. I think what the Vagabond gains is the cats losing their superpower, and that's pretty tangible. But getting these first four cat funds on turn two and losing all the cat funds you could have gotten throughout the game by being a normal customer uh, kind of is just a bad, inefficient play to me, apart from being mean. I have seen a lot of recent Otter games, though, where, like, no one buys anything from them. So, (laughs) I mean, I'm not pushing back against this because I believe you that this sounds really crappy and bullying, but, like... I, I don't know. Like, I feel like the otters, if no one's buying from them, kind of have to make some aggressive moves in some way. Maybe not this one, especially early on. But uh, what's what's I don't know. What At what point does some otters extortion kind of need to happen? Right. I feel like drawing a card is just objectively better. You draw a card and someone will buy them. The idea that we're all going to starve the otters the entire game. It's laughable because none of the other three players can resist having the slight edge on the other two, especially that player. We talked about turn order, the player right before the river folk is going to definitely do that at some point. We've mentioned the the kind of like the meta is where the otters swim. And to me, at least um, being a little bit, you know, just like kind of neutral salesperson from the get go. Um, lets the meta between the other three players get contentious and then they will look to the otters to help them solve their problems, mm-hmm. which is way more lucrative generally, I feel like. Because then you have like the moles going for some weird sprint and they'll give you like four in one turn. And yeah, so I, I think you're right, Sam, that it, crime doesn't pay. Don't bully people. Yeah. Uh, it doesn't work out. And I literally don't think it works out from a game perspective. Like, apart from it being, like, uncool or whatever, and I'm, like, a narc, I guess, because I don't <laughs> like lies. I guess I, I literally don't think it works out in a game perspective, which, again, leads me back to one of the statements I said at the beginning of this podcast, which I think this game was designed as a war game for nice people because look at how bullying doesn't pay off and player elimination doesn't pay off. Yeah. Now, you want to punch all those nice people on a pretty regular basis, but you don't want to really do any. But you want to give them a hand back up off the concrete. Yeah, exactly. Cause you need them to punch somebody else. Exactly. Speaking of, let's talk about three V one. Okay. At all times you have two other allies against the main problem. Sometimes you are that main problem and you're going to have to deal with the table turning three V one against you. 
this is uh, huge. And we kind of talked about this. You can kind of get uh, certain metas thing. You can do it like a starvation meta against like a Vagabond or an Otters player. We can be like, I am not going to discard or craft any of these items to make sure that that Tinker can't fish them out or the Vagabond can't aid me for any of these items. You can pledge as a table to not buy from the river folk. But again, somebody's going to break this little treaty. And hopefully what your group has done is just delay it, right? Because the Vagabond not having a T on turn two is great. A Vagabond finally getting that T on turn five, whatever. Fine. They have a couple more actions at the end of the game, but they're not in a position to wreak havoc like they would have been earlier. Another thing I've seen is police partners. Kyle, you, you do this a lot, where you say, I'm the cat's. You're talking to the birds player and you go, I'll deal with this faction. You deal with that faction. And this is a very healthy uh, thing in the meta. It, it tends to be the, the army factions, the red factions, the ones with higher reach are able to impact the board more. And so them working together uh, to kind of snuff out the more insurgent factions. Kind of like a survivor tactic of like you you'll tend to see like a bunch of like meathead strong guys all gear up together because then they can't just take out the meathead strong guy because there's multiple of them right and so they act as big meat shields for each other. What is this and analogy? I, what are you talking about? Meathead <laughs> meat shields. What <laughs> meatheads? You know, just like strong dudes that don't have a lot going on upstairs, right? I understand the concept of a meathead. What do you mean in this analogy of Survivor? That they stick together in, in their voting because they're the dummies? Right. They don't want to eliminate each other because if strong guy A, he's the real target, and so strong guy B needs strong guy A to stick around so that they're, he's not the target. And I feel like the police factions in Root work a similar way where if I don't have to police everybody, if you can do that and I can do this, then we can both avoid like the, the heat and the response. So instead of, yeah, instead of knowing that there's one person who has the heat at the table, like make sure there's two people who have heat at the table. So it's never a three V one, right? If you're one right. of those. Yeah. Okay. That makes sense. I've actually like, I've haven't seen this type of arrangement in too many root games. The games where it does form successfully, it can be really strong because yeah. in that it, if it goes for long enough, it becomes a 1v1 with, like, two other factions running around. Yeah. In that scenario, if you are one of the red factions, then you just got to make sure that you're a little bit nicer to the other two factions than the other person. Mm -hmm. yeah. uh, <laughs> so that when the retribution comes, you'll be second on the list. <laughs> um, if you are one of the insurgents, on the other hand, uh, I've been on the insurgent side as the Within Alliance like a bunch of times against this type of strategy. The way out is to align yourself with one of the red factions hmm. and say, I will help you destroy the other red. Like, look, they're, they're doing just as well as you. If you help me right now to destroy them, like, you're going to be in the lead. Isn't that good? So you gotta you gotta kind of figure out a way to get a leg up in the game from one of the factions that's trying to suppress you, which sounds counterintuitive, but that is generally the way back into the game because you know at, at a certain point if it's working, if the suppression is working, they're gonna have to fight each other, and whoever starts that process first will ultimately win is the theory, and so i don't know the game kind of self-balances in such a fun way but yeah i think your goal as one of the insurgents is to 
figure out who's going to break first and align yourself with them. Get them to help you get back in the game. Yeah. Nice. I would love to revisit this topic again like a year from now. Like just not only to see how our opinions have changed, but also like to see maybe what the meta has like evolved into in some way. Not that I mean, we talked about metas as a general thing. We didn't talk about specific metas too much today. I just would like to see how we feel in 2022. What? What we thought about 2021, Jake, Sam, and Kyle's opinion on this. Well, I'm just going to be more Puritan. (laughs) I'm going to be like, it's wrong to battle. (laughs) (laughs) You're just a Wizards player at heart, You are committing an offense against another player by doing such a thing. (laughs) Build peaceful. All right. uh, We have a little bit for story time here. Kyle, did you have any story times? Or did you work those in naturally? (laughs) Uh, no, I, I only rehearsed them so I could do them as unnaturally as possible. <laughs> cool. Um, <laughs> a reading. <laughs> I do like prepared readings, but this is not one of them. I had a, a, a good one earlier. I didn't write it down. Give me you one second. You have a barkskin manuscript? It. What is that? Kyle. Oh my God. You're such a <laughs> druid. It's just my, um, I, I reupholstered my copy of Words with Birds. <laughs> <laughs> um... You would be the only person I know that reupholsters a book. <laughs> <laughs> While you're thinking, I will say, like, I don't have a specific story, but I have my meta. And I mentioned it early in the podcast of the meta that exists for me, largely in TI, but also in a lot of my games, because I'm the teacher, is the person who offers advice that everybody's suspicious of. Like, yeah, sure, it sounds good, but what's the other side of what Jake is saying right now? How does this help Jake? And I really do strive, because that meta exists to me, to be as honest and forthright as possible. I try not to lie, like, hardly at all. I really try to let people know that, hey, I'm trying to provide you some insight into this game, both as your teacher and as a fellow player. But whenever I do offer that advice, I I admit to them, hey, Freely, this isn't hurting me. I'm not going to offer you advice to come attack me. That'll never be a good suggestion from my perspective. (laughs) So like anything I offer as advice, yeah, generally might also at least be a benefit to me or at least neutral. And I think people see that as like uh, an adversarial thing. And it's, I don't think it is. Yeah, that's difficult. I feel like I have, I don't have that because I do feel like I teach a lot and then I am not focusing on my (laughs) own game at all. (laughs) And then I like wake up and turn four and I'm like, Oh God, I've not set up well at all. I've let everyone else make good moves and I've just tried to take my turns quickly. Um, and that's why I've never won cosmic encounter. (laughs) (laughs) That's, that's my other problem. I would say is like, I am so focused on helping other people that like when people say, well, Jake could win next turn. And I say, no, I don't think I can. Then when it becomes my turn and I realize I can, it wasn't because I was lying earlier. It was because I literally didn't think so, but now I've realized it because I have because I was paying attention to so many other things. I wasn't trying to be deceptive. I literally was a dummy five minutes ago and really didn't see what maybe other people did see. It's also just the way your voice sounds. I don't know. It's hard to trust you. <laughs> Even now when devil. you're like, I promise I make mistakes. I'm like, I don't think it's so. It's true. I think Both it of you are looking at me very suspiciously on this Zoom call right now. <laughs> I've just been taking notes the whole time. Um, I think I'm a little bit the opposite of you, Sam. Sam, you're so good at, at being kind of like, generally very helpful to other players on their turns and you too jake like you've just described like you you both have have such a good sense of 
um, helping other people out on their turns. Whereas I feel like I get almost like tunnel vision on my own, imagining how the turn could unfold. Mm-hmm. And I, so my own kind of fine tuning that I like to do in root is like try and engage more with the table. Cause it's super easy to just go into the tank in between turns and just like kind of plot it out. Uh, but uh, so for, for myself, I try and think about like engage a little more, like, you know, speak up, interact with the players. Uh, a good example of that is I'm currently playing an asynchronous game on Root Digital uh, where there's, you know, like we've mentioned, the table talk is more limited than in real life or on TTS. Uh, and so on Root Digital, my way of speaking up more is to always say hi and good luck at the beginning of the game and just kind of see if anyone responds or says good luck and then just to kind of start interacting with them. So in this game, I'm the cats, and the player who's interacting with me is the vagabond. And uh, they have a name with, like, a musical term in it. Um, And I said, oh, are you a musician? And they're like, yeah. And I'm like, oh, my gosh. Well, like, cool. Like, what's your SoundCloud? And then I went and listened to their music on the SoundCloud, like, during this asynchronous game. And so now we're, like, chatting about music and stuff. and all of this is to say, like, now this player is, like, aiding me cards. <laughs> oh, no! What? And the other players at the table haven't said anything. And so, like, yeah, naturally, like, we're kind of allied now just because we're interacting at all. Anyway, we're going and, out to uh, dinner next week. I'm very excited. It's pretty nice. Yeah, we're, it's, a, it's a good time. Um, That's interesting. Wow. It's a, a weird dynamic, yeah. And, and so I feel like you know, zooming way out, like, objectively, I now have a huge advantage in this game. Uh, That wasn't, like, what I was consciously seeking, but, like, I have it now. (laughs) I'm going to start asking for your SoundCloud when I play against you, Kyle, and going to your website and paying you compliments. I mean, we'd totally be allied in that in that game um by the way uh i do have a sound club but go to my band camp instead to listen to the new record yeah <laughs> oh it was su- it was sweet though this music it was like pirate dub <laughs> like reggae Whoa. but all in italian it was crazy oh, as you do of course that's awesome it was pretty sweet yeah all right well justin k said that no root win is self-made and i'd say that no root episode is self-made and we want to give our special <laughs> thanks to crewmeister justin k Squidmark, Triskilly, opie's funeral sea coyote nevikinesa marcus the cat saltier factory germ curry fantastic mr trickster fugless garrick s and this just 10 thank you guys so much honestly we've been doing these conversations and they have lasted multiple days of people giving us lots of great stuff to consider before we record these episodes and i want to thank you guys so much uh for doing that and if you haven't joined us on the good time society discord please do that we're in the woodland war machine channel we're talking root every day we're playing root every week please join us um Rate us five stars. Somebody else say something. No, you were doing so good. I was enjoying it. Uh, I will echo that. Uh, If you go on to iTunes and rate us with a five-star rating, it really helps us in the algorithm department. It also helps us uh, with just people seeing positive things when they first visit the podcast page. Right. I I said this earlier. If you don't give us five stars, I'm not listening to what you have to say. 
If you have a criticism of the you were podcast, stop listening to our podcast. I was like, oh Sam, yeah, I won't listen to this. I can't. <laughs> Sam can't listen to a podcast under five stars. Oh my god, the guy Sam, he does so many cliches. I can't listen to the way this guy talks. <laughs> Great. Well, I and I feel like this conversation can go on forever. I really want to keep talking about this for too long, so I want to revisit this periodically. Um, yeah. Especially not only as we maybe reform our opinions, but also as we hear feedback from folks uh, and what is happening at their table. So please do come onto the Discord and share share us your meta and your perceptions of what we've been talking about today. Um, what's what are we discussing next week, friends? Oh, we've got a real expert in the house this time, Kyle. Everyone, um, put on your favorite black skinny jeans and <laughs> get your bandanas, cover up your face, and, you know, load up that bottle of alcohol with a bunch of dirty rags, because we're talking about the Woodland Alliance, baby. Revolution! It's <laughs> a lot of homework they got to do all of a sudden. Yeah. They got a whole wardrobe. <laughs> you got to look the part. And then you got to have the Molotov cocktails to back it up. Honey, why are you stuffing rags in our vodka? Uh, I'm getting ready for the podcast, <laughs> Because babe. the podcast told me. <laughs> <laughs> we appreciate all of you listeners. Thank you so much for hanging out with us every week. We'll be back soon with a Woodland Alliance guide next week. But until then, <gasps> root, 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 root,